and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Yulia Joja. I'm with the Middle East Institute, Georgetown and George Washington Universities, and I'm joined by my colleagues. Giselle Donnelly, I work at the American Enterprise Institute, along with Dali Buruhat. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that tend to emerge along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. If you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Today, we are thrilled and honored to be joined by Adrian Baluzel, who is the Chief of Staff to the President of the Republic of Moldova, Maya Sandu. Welcome to the show. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Usually, we start broad and ask you a general question, but I'll have a different angle this time. I'll now start with some recent personal news of yours and, and then extrapolate it to the Republic of Moldova. And that is that I think just very recently this year, you have been banned from traveling to Russia. I'm guessing that's not a great personal loss. Um, but beyond that, if we are to extrapolate that, the Russian Federation, I think, has accused you of discriminating against Russian language and discriminating against Russian citizens. But at the same time, we know, and we've covered this on the podcast too, Moldova through the last two years in the context of uh, the full-scale invasion in Ukraine has has been facing ample hybrid warfare from Russia with a series of means from propaganda and disinformation to the violation of airspace and missiles flying over Moldovan heads to bribings, election interference, etc. So of course, this is, I'm guessing, the context of your personal news. So can you tell us a little bit about this specific state of the hybrid warfare between Russia and the Republic of Moldova? If you are to look back over the last one, two years, what are the main challenges coming from Russia and how are you trying to fight them? Thank you. Look, the personal introduction to go to Russia, I wear it as a badge of honor. The second, it's a massive Russian narrative that current Moldovan government authorities, president, somehow has something against Russian people, which is completely not true. The Republic of Moldova has a significant number of Russian minority. Ukrainian minority is the biggest one, but most of them are Russian-speaking, so they speak Russian language. There was never any tension on ethnicity based in the Republic of Moldova. And before the start of the war, we declared it, and we were talking about this publicly, that we are pro-European government. We seek European integration and Europeanization of the Republic of Moldova, but we never thought to make it on the back of uh, worsening the relations with Russia. So we never actively seek it. It's an active Russian disinformation campaign and narrative line to talk about how the current government wants to jeopardize the relations with Russia. But the Russia is the one who started the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, who are murdering and killing people. So there is no other way of us proceeding than to declaring and stating publicly what it does. In regard to the Republic of Moldova, since the day one of us, President Sandu stepping into the office, a new government, a pro-European government stepping into the office, we saw blackmailing from Russia Federation in energy market. We saw and outright disinformation campaigns launched by exponents of Russian Federation. And the intensity of the, these phenomena keep increasing. So this it presents itself as one of the main security threats to the Republic of Moldova. 
we have a new security strategy in place in the Republic of Moldova, which for the first time in history presents and names Russia as a significant or the main security threat of the Republic of Moldova. How it works in practice? So there are several key areas of Russian interference. First is the media space and the disinformation campaign that are launched to various channels. So Russia's state television they used to hold a significant amount of media market in the Republic of Moldova through different means, through different channels. And they were quite strong attached to this media. So they had a lot of practical sources of launching these narratives. Now we see them through various means investing significant amounts of money, mainly through fugitive oligarchs. We see Russia investing in, in launching a significant number of disinformation campaigns in the online, on Facebook, on, uh, well, Twitter is not that popular in Moldova, mainly on Facebook and TikTok. So that's one thing. Disinformation campaigns that are launched through all the possible means. Second, we see that Russia teamed up with a number of fugitive oligarchs that previously used to control a political life in the Republic of Moldova and are actively trying to create different political projects that would promote Russia's rhetorics and Russian interests. We saw that in the current Socialist Party that is a parliamentary group, but they're not that radical, although we are openly pro-Russian party, but we see more and more radical parties like Shore Party that was declared unconstitutional and other parties created by the Shore Group, which tried to radicalize a number. Uh, we had an investigation that became an international sensation of a group of independent journalists that infiltrated in those protests and documented how those people were paid. We see an incredible amount of money that they tried to use during the latest local election that we had in autumn 23, where they literally tried to bribe people for the votes and this way winning elections. They didn't succeed, but uh, the danger remains. So Russia, alongside with fugitive Moldovan oligarchs, are teaming up in order to create political projects that would grow to the capabilities of undermining the situation. Third element is the efforts of Russia to radicalize the discourse in the Republic of Moldova against the European Union or to jeopardize the, the process or the popularity of European Union in the Republic of Moldova. And they try to do that through all available means again. But it, it's an important separate line that is not directed towards a specific politician or government, but building a general perception that European path is harming for Moldova. Last but not least, probably the most important danger posed by Russia is the war that Russia wages in Ukraine. It poses a direct security threat for the Republic of Moldova. We had this information, we had Russia's proxy parties in Moldova before. We had, I don't know, efforts of Russia to keep Moldova away from Ukraine. We have all of those in different proportions for the last 20 years. Since two years now, we have a full-scale invasion of a sovereign nation that seeks to pursue its own European dream and got invaded for this. And this is the biggest security threat that Moldova faces. This was extremely, extremely helpful. As an outside observer, though, one has to wonder to what extent these Russian influence operations, gray zone warfare, disinformation campaigns, whatever you call them, are met with a fertile ground in which they are more likely than not to succeed. I mean, it is confusing to somebody looking at Moldova from the outside to sort of see the plethora of political parties that have emerged, the shore party that you referred to that's been outlawed, now the revival party, which reportedly organized the protest today with several thousand people in front of the parliament. Could you maybe describe to us you know, the extent to which Moldovan public is receptive 
to these kinds of messages and, and how you're planning to work with the public to get them, you know, on board with, with Moldova's European and pro-Western aspirations and keep them from, you know, sort of descending into the politics of sort of Soviet Iran nostalgia or, or, or whatnot? I think this is an important question. Since the you know, Russia's invasion in Ukraine, I think the core supporters of Russia decreased. So the, the number of people who would say that Russia is good no matter what decreased. It doesn't necessarily mean that those people migrated believing in the European Union. But certainly, and we see that in the rhetoric of several pro-Russian parties in Moldovan political landscape, it changed so they understood that having a full-fledged pro-Russian rhetorics will never win them elections again, because simply the people who would support blindly what Russia is doing is decreasing. But this is not the immediate and the biggest problem in terms of the amount of people who support Russia is rather the problem the amount of people who are deceived by Russian propaganda in and uh, building a wrong understanding of what European Union means, what democratization means in the Republic of Moldova. So Russia is not necessarily targeting campaigns to increase its popularity in the Republic of Moldova, rather than deceiving that everyone else is the same like Russia. There is no value choice, and actually the values that are promoted are wrong. Could you tell us a bit about how you combat the disinformation campaigns, what works, what hasn't worked, whether you have shared techniques and best practices with the Ukrainians or other neighbors. In many ways, the entire West is under Russian propaganda assault all the time. So I'm just wondering, this is part of the strategic situation, part of the landscape in which we find ourselves. But it's very hard to judge how things are, are going. Again, like sort of what works and what's harder to, to break through. We started combating Russian propaganda in a very grassroots manner. I mean, even before President Sandu coming into power and Action and Solidarity Party winning the majority in the parliament, the only tool that we had, it was a very grassroots campaigning and grassroots explaining of the situation. And Russia in this regard, at some point, I would say, even helped us because at some point Russia started trumpeting so many fake news and the level of fakeness of those news was that absurd that people somehow realized that it can not be true. I mean, there was there was just an inflation of fakes and, and, and absurd messages being trumpeted by, by, by Russian channels. And at some point that played against them. So it built in Moldovan citizens somehow an understanding that you should not believe everything you hear on television. So an important element that played in our favor, but we started in a very grassroots way of going to the villages, meeting people in town halls on the street, organizing grassroots informational campaign with, through our political network. And that really helped. Now, as a government, since the start of the war, there were measures adopted in banning Russia's televisions in the Republic of Moldova, several Russian TV that were promoting fake news. We launched a new strategic communication center for the first time in Moldova his, Moldova's history that would analyze the impact of malign propaganda, disinformation on the national security and the impact on, on various aspects of social and political life in the country. It's yet to see the center being operationalized in full, but I think it will become an important tool of understanding what Russia is planning, what narratives it's launching, and how they are impacting 
on national security and the situation in the Republic of Moldova. So, but one should not exclude another. I mean, we, we are still doing the grassroots campaign that we communicate through our networks of supporters and people. We try to be active. I mean, simply combating propaganda doesn't work. If there is a communication void, it will be filled sooner or later. And it's important to have your messages, to have out there, to have your people talking about what you're doing to combat when you see narratives that are fake and wrong to, to come with opposing messages and correct information so it doesn't create a void of information. And in this regard, by the way, transparency helps. We realize that every time we are being transparent about our decisions, about plans of the government, talking to public about it, it's harder for the Russian disinformation campaigns to, to take ground. So we talked about propaganda extensively and disinformation, and clearly Moldova has been at the center stage also due to its vulnerability long term and in the context of this war. What about defense? You mentioned earlier the national security strategy, the new defense strategy of Moldova, which is groundbreaking. You've also mentioned that Moldova's defense and security depends on Ukraine. So tell us a little bit more about where currently Moldova is in its efforts for basically arming up and increasing defense. And tell us a little bit about that in a context of Moldova constitutionally being forced to be neutral and how sensitive this is also in the context of public opinion, disinformation and NATO standing and of course the United States states in, in public opinion in Moldova, and also about the fact that Moldova starts off really from scratch in the context of having very limited, if any, armed forces. And so it's been now two years of the full-scale invasion. We know there's more cooperation, of course, with Ukraine, more cooperation with neighboring country and partner Romania. We know that there's help from the EU, as well as a little bit maybe from the United States, but what is happening at the national level in this context? First of all, an important distinction to make within the new national security strategy is that we, for the first time, view security not only through the lens of defense, we view it in a broader sense in terms of energy security, economical security, informational space security, and so on and so forth. And defense plays an important part. So as a follow-up of adopting the national security strategy, the next step is to update our defense strategy. And the work has started already. And indeed, since when the war in Ukraine started, we realized that Uh, army and defense capabilities of Moldova were heavily neglected for a very, very long period of time. One thing that happened was an increased openness from the international community to support us with mainly port for non-lethal equipment, military equipment that was extremely helpful and allowed us to focus on training, preparing our uh, troops, preparing our uh, army based on new equipment, new standards of operation and so on. So that happened in a very accelerated way. There is a long way to go, but we've made a 
qualitative jump in terms of where we are now compared to where we were two years ago. And in this regard, you were saying maybe Europe more or US. I want to say that both European Union member states EU as a separate entity and US were incremental in this regard and still are incremental because the process is continuing. Uh, we're focusing on, on several things in this area. It's equipment and dotations. It's improving the capabilities and preparation of military personnel and improving the quality of dotation on the, the, the personal side. So that's on the defense part. And in the past year, for example, France helped us to get new radar that Moldova never had in the past several years at modern radar. And we had several months ago during 2023, several cases of Russian missiles flying over the Republic of Moldova. So having this kind of equipment that is not necessarily military little equipment, but helps us Moldova build protection, helps Moldova get more information and help get intelligence on that is incremental and it builds our capabilities. We have this as a objective and we will continue doing or working in, in, in this regard. As again, coming back to our national security strategy, we are a neutral country in the constitution, but rather before the concept of neutrality means that we are neutral, we don't need an army because we're neutral. Now we are perceiving this rather different. Being neutral means you don't belong to any alliance that might come and jump in and help you. So you need to build your capabilities, you need to strengthen your capabilities, you need to be prepared. That's how we are seeing it right now. And we are glad to have so many friends that are helping in the process. On, on a somewhat different note, Moldova I think, has been in the spotlight repeatedly, partly due to various influential figures that have served as channels of Russian influence in the country. I mean, you already mentioned the name of, of Ilan Shor, but I suspect there are also others. There are also economic ties existing between the Russian-controlled Transnistria and the rest of Moldova. It might be useful if you if you could sort of tell us what the government and the president's agenda is with regard to the de-oligarchization of Moldova, so to speak, which obviously will be an important prerequisite for the progress in EU accession negotiations and, and just sort of, you know, cleaning up of domestic rule of law, corruption situation, but also I think it's increasingly a matter of national security for, for Moldova. Yeah, the oligarchization is indeed a matter of national security for Moldova. There are several components of it. First of all, is what lies in the power of the government to do. And in this regard, there is this the oligarchization plan that was part of the EU conditionality to open the negotiation. It mainly focuses on preventing oligarch groups to use their resources and power to influence the social political life in the country. And that refers to several elements like media ownership and transparency in media ownership, improving the transparency and the accountability of party financing, limiting the potential transactions offshore jurisdictions that might be dubious or with unclear uh, or access resources and companies from uh, offshore jurisdictions to the state acquisition standards and so on. So the plan is extremely comprehensive and rather looking to improve state mechanisms 
of never allowing again the level of interference of different oligarchy groups in the public life. That's one element. Another element of it is what we are trying to do to combat and revert the, the harmful impact done by the oligarchs in the Republic of Moldova. And a very vivid example is the selling of an airport to some Russian-affiliated companies, bringing back the airport or expropriating back the airport in the state ownership was an important victory for us as we showcased that the, as far as I understand the contract was deemed illegal so the state was able to to recover an important asset so leading the track and looking into the deeds that were done and trying to revert them and taking back what's ours it's another element that is in government's hand and we were trying to do that but the most important part in fighting the oligarchs and sending a strong message of course lies with the justice sector lies with the major corruption cases the billion dollar fraud laundromat case and seeing progress and results in those cases is the most important tool fighting oligarchs. Showcasing that the justice is working and no longer can be influenced is the main element of fighting oligarchs. We have some progresses on that, but I have to admit that the progress is slower than everyone's expected. And we, we try to do everything we can to advance with the vetting process, with the reform of the justice sector, but I'm sure more can be done in this regard. And, you know, many Americans, most of the news they hear about Moldova is related to Transnistria. We can't go a couple of weeks without anticipating a Russian false flag operation or, you know, some uh, protests that are projected to spill over into violence and revolution and so on and so forth. It's very difficult to track the true situation here, at least in the United States. I'd be interested, Adrian, to get your take on uh, where things stand in, you know, it's like, Separatist has become a formal name of, of the region. So please enlighten us. I'm moderate optimistic about what patients are right now. What I think an important success that we had since the start of the war that is not necessarily labeled as a success, but it's a very important thing was that since the start of the war, we managed to preserve peace and stability in Transnistrian region and in relations with breakaway Transnistrian region. And we know that there were many attempts to destabilize this equilibrium and this peace and, and, and stability in cooperation with so-called authorities from the Transnistrian region. But that was the primary goal, not to allow escalation that so many try to, to inflict. So that is an important element. Second, I believe the equilibrium and the peace and stability that was achieved was due to several key factors. First of all, a Transnistrian region due to uh, DCFTA with the European Union exports more than 70% of to the EU at this point, not so, around 70% to the EU, to be fair. And that creates an important dependency of Transnistrian region to the European Union that they cannot simply uh, give away. That's one thing. Second of all, since the start of the war in Ukraine, they, they can no longer rely on other sources of import or economic trade. And Moldova, right bank of uh, Nistru became the only source of logistics and commerce. So th that is another important element. And third, two main uh, industries, energy, electrical energy power plant and a metallurgical power plant are dependent on acquisitions from Transnistria. We are partially dependent on electricity that we buy from the Transnistrian region and buy it on lower prices than the European market, which is also good for us. So, I mean, we managed to establish some sort of win-win situation for everyone to keep calm 
and maintain the status quo. It's important that there is constant communication between sides and we do not allow any efforts to escalate the situation between uh, Moldova and so-called region of Transnistria. But yeah, it, it is a success. Considering how many try to destabilize the situation there, it is an important element that that we try to maintain and preserve the peace and the stability and quiet. Before we let you go, we need to ask you about the United States. First of all, tell us a little bit of why you're here, but also good news and maybe not so good news yet. We have now finally the approval of the aid package in the European Union, but we have the same bad limbo here in the United States in Congress. How worried are you in the context of Moldova's dependencies on Ukrainian defense? How worried are you about the U.S. aid for Ukraine? And is there something that you're hoping for when it comes to aid and assistance to Moldova? Yeah, indeed, the good news, having a breakthrough in agreeing a package of support for Ukraine from European Union, it's an important milestone that I know many, many countries and many people work hard to achieve. I think we can call it an Orban breakdown, can't we, a little bit? <laughs> At least, even if it's not not entirely true. Yeah. Now, I'm in United States for an event with Moldovan community and Moldova diaspora here. We value very much our diaspora across the world. And every time we get a chance to meet, to interact, we're using this opportunity. So I, I was here primarily to meet with our communities in Washington, and I'm going to as well to Chicago. But I use the opportunity while being here also to have visits meetings at White House, State Department. I did a tour of several think tanks and everywhere we, of course, talked Ukraine. We talked that this supplementary package for Ukraine because the best support for Moldova in terms of security is actually support for Ukraine. We also discussed the Moldova-US agenda that is like a never-before complex and rich and strong and full of, of topics I mean, in terms of development assistance that we receive, in terms of projects that the U.S. implement, the U.S. now ports last year ratified and, and we are looking to operationalize an important energy support package. So there are a lot of is going on and I was happy to get a chance to meet people and see the, the U.S. perspective on how things are going. And also to present our challenges that uh, we have this year presidential elections, we have a referendum on the EU. So it was on my side an important mission to update people here in Washington on, on what's happening in Moldova. So that's why I am here. On the um, Ukraine, we actually got quite optimistic messages related to the fact that uh, rather sooner than later, there will be a breakthrough in agreeing a supplementary package. No one uh, really can say about the exact amount or the formula that will be identified, but people on both aisles, from both uh, the Democrats and Republicans, were quite optimistic. And a good thing that I think encouraging thing that we know we don't hear that much in, in Moldova and in Eastern Europe in general was that both Democrats and Republicans that at least that we met express a strong support for the Ukraine and a strong support for the need of United States being an important player in supporting Ukraine to win this war. So we'll see how fast it will be deblocked and how fast it will move forward. But 
Definitely we're waiting for it. A supplementary package for Ukraine carries an important element of broader support to the countries affected by the war in Ukraine. And we hope Moldova will be included there. But for us, this is a really secondary question. As long as there is support for Ukraine, we want to see Ukraine well equipped, well armed, able to protect itself and through that protecting us as well. You know, we try really hard to end on a positive note on this podcast. So, Adrian, you didn't know this, but you actually made it happen. It's very hard when you have a podcast called The Eastern Front in the midst of a war to end on a positive note. But here we go. Thank you so much for joining us, Adrian Balutzel, Chief of Staff to the Moldovan President, Maya Sandu, and we hope to see you also in person sometime soon when The Eastern Front is planning to travel to Moldova. Moldova and to Ukraine. Looking forward welcoming you in Chisinau. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. In the past two years, the situation has been grim. There is a complicated year ahead. And in these circumstances, one can only be and remain optimistic. That's the only way to go forward. So regardless of everything, we, we want to stay optimistic and keep moving forward. And thank you for talking about what's happening in Ukraine and Moldova. We appreciate this a lot. From me, Yulia Zhozha and my friends and me Chiselle Donnelly and Dali Burohash thank you for listening to the Eastern Front if you enjoyed this episode please consider subscribing rating and reviewing us to stay up to date with the Eastern Front please give us a follow on Twitter or X at Eastern Front pod in one word and sign up for the newsletter included in the show notes you can find more episodes and additional content on our website AEI.org Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and until next time, goodbye.